Hi, this is Peter Berg, and we are here at the Aero Conference in Long Island, New York, at Long Island University. Uh, the Aero Conference is a international conference that happens once per year, uh, bringing together people from all over the world who are interested in educational alternatives and under the banner of really wanting to explore the idea of humans as natural learners. And we are... Um, we are so privileged to have our next guest here on the podcast. Uh, she is an author uh, and activist for unschooling and self-directed education. And it's my pleasure to introduce Akila Richards. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me to be on. I was like, yes, podcast talking, that's totally my thing, let's do it. <laughs> Great, well thank you so much. And I know you have your own podcast, so can you tell us a little bit about that and where we might be able to find your your podcast? Yes, the podcast is called Fair of the Free Child, F-A-R-E, and it's on iTunes, it's on SoundCloud, it's on all of the podcasty places. Um, and it started last year, it's a little over a year old now, I think it was like July 28th or something of last year. Um, and it started after, I want to say, Alton Sterling's public lynching. I was so frustrated with just being angry. And because we've been unschooling for some time, my family and also in the communities that we're part of, I'm seeing how these things are interconnected. I'm seeing how, uh, for example, the school to prison pipeline and you know these sort of things and this idea that our children can't be free too. And if we uh, endeavor to still figure out how to be free, what that looks like for different for marginalized groups, particularly people of color. So that's what the podcast was birthed out of. I wanted to explore that out loud. I wanted um, people of color to own our own stories. You know, everyone else tells the stories of the the black people and the Latinx people and all of the other people. And I wanted to have a space where somebody could pop in their headphones and listen to a single black woman in Metro Atlanta who's unschooling with her two kids and she's a part of a community, or um, a Chicano woman who's in a doctoral program who also unschools. It's like, how in the world could you be both? I, I just wanted us to be able to own our stories and I wanted to create this ongoing, and we're 50 episodes in now, we're just ending season two, this ongoing catalog of personal narrative around liberatory learning, essentially, and living, yeah. Great, thank you. Um, and so, some of some of our listeners uh, that listen to the Arrow podcast, they know a bit about alternatives and that kind of thing. But unschooling is sort of a newish, newish <laughs> <laughs> uh, phenomenon. Can you talk a little bit about what? Um, unschooling uh, looks like for you? Yeah, and I'm always happy to um, answer that question because I, I feel like we need more and more discussion around it. So I like to say that unschooling is one form of self-directed education, right? So self-directed education is learner-centered and it's completely free of coercion. So if the person wants to do it and you can self-direct at any age, it's not just for children, um, if they want to do it and if they can stop doing it without a consequence from an adult, then it's self-directed education. So it does include school if they want to do that. Um, unschooling also can include school if they want to do that. Matter of fact, our daughters, we've been unschooling for almost seven years, but now they're about to start at an agile learning center, which is a, essentially like an unschool school. So unschooling is child-centered in that sense and not always child-led because whatever that learning piece, so if you 
if a child wants to learn a skill that requires them to be in a schooled environment, then they can be a part of that. Also, if they want to learn it through a hodgepodge mix match of connecting with other people online, then they can do that too. So it just means that the learner owns their learning journey and that they can put together all of the resources with the help of supportive adults, if we're talking about children, to go down that path. So for us, our daughters have primarily been um, at home, but we're also digital nomads. So we, we travel to different countries and cities and then they get immersed in things. And so they learn, we don't think in topics or subjects, we don't grade or anything like that. We don't, they don't test, they don't use um, curricula unless one of them wants to do something like that. And um, the life skills are how they grow. So I tell the story all the time when about six years ago when we were really first getting started, we went to Jamaica. We moved to Jamaica because it's cheaper to live there. It's cheaper to get real food. We could not afford to do that in Atlanta where we were living at the time. So we went to Jamaica and we stayed with family and eventually were able to rent a cheap little house and all of that. And Instead of doing math like, okay, Sage, how, what, seven times four? <laughs> we would go to the supermarket and put her in charge of the budget at that time. And as long as she wasn't like completely resistant to it, then we would test that out. And we'd say, okay, at the time, it's like, I don't know, however many Jamaican dollars to one US. So here is our budget now. And she would be responsible for saying, oh, okay, this is two US bucks because that's what she'd be used to. And then we would come home with the receipts and say, oh, we went over budget by this much. Oh, I miscalculated this. So that's how math, and I'm using air quotes, that's how math would be practiced. She loves to bake. Obviously, okay, if this recipe is going to be for seven people and not two, how will you do it differently? And we wouldn't give her the answer. She can make the mistake, and, and that's how she would learn that. So it's taking that approach that learning is everywhere. You do not have to simulate learning for it to happen, but you have to be aware of how learning happens, which, which isn't how it happens yeah. in school. Mm -hmm. So if you're aware of that, then you, a lot of it is backing away to observe and then to support what you're observing. Yeah. Um, thank you. That was a, um, such a, a, a great explanation um, of unschooling and self-directed uh, learning and education. Um, and I know in, in, the, in the work that we do here uh, at Arrow, uh, we hear a lot about um, you know, self-directed approach or child-centered. Um, and you talked a little bit about you know, kind of what that looks like um, you know, just in terms of learning, okay, you're, you're doing something that's uh, almost immediate and, and, and immediate in the real world sort of sense. Exactly. Right, in real time. Exactly, and not being afraid to, to make a mistake. You know, a big part of the, one of the barriers to actual learning in a schoolish environment is the, the fear of making a mistake. We know, Peter, as adults, that that's critical. It's important to progress, to not only to make the mistake, but to feel confident that when you make it, you're not going to die, or right. most likely, <laughs> depending on the mistake, right? Um, you're, you're probably right. not going to die. Yeah. Um, and that also you develop a sense of confidence in your ability to pivot and your ability to learn from those sort of mistakes. And then also your ability to connect what you're learning to everything else in the real world because that's the whole point. Not to get the good grade or not to get to the next grade, but 
because it's connected to things that are valuable to the community that you're a part of and to you. And I think one of the major issues is that with schoolishness is that community-mindedness now goes away because you're competing. Even if you, your best friend sits next to you in class, that is a competitor. You know, and so it takes away from this ability to make the mistake and to be in the real world and to think of a way that we can study for things that we're into together as opposed to, dude, I got to ace this test because my parents are going to be mad and then I won't be able to do such and such and such, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, yeah and it's, um, you know, again, the self-directed education and learning and unschooling. Um, and. Uh, you just gave us a wonderful keynote a couple of hour, hours ago, and you were talking about um, access, and not only necessarily access to it, but also being able to access it and implement it. Because in some ways, right, we could say that people have access. Well, you can get to it somehow if you can figure it out on your own. And um, But I think it's also the implementation. It's being able to use it, not just say, oh, it's out there, and if I can you know, rearrange every part of my life and, you know, right. and change all my circumstances and change where I was born and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but being able to implement it and, and you gave some really great ideas and suggestions. Cause so can you talk a little bit about that as well? Sure. Sure. One of, one of what I've found to be the most easily accessible is in our language, you know, how we communicate with each other, how we communicate with ourselves. Even I'm going to try not to get too woo woo on you, <laughs> Peter, but I am a very woo woo person. Um, I, a big part of that is language, this idea of um, what is my purpose in communicating th this need or what is my purpose in what I desire for my child or for myself. A lot of it starts there. A lot of us come to it um, from a space of triage, right? We escape something that is traumatic and oppressive and then we're like, okay, but then what? So when you're out of triage mode, when you're out of survival mode, it can look like redeveloping a relationship with language where in my talk, I talked about Patois. You know, Patois is a, a blend of different languages with the goal of sharing meaning and creating community. So if we had that in mind, that's a part of how we do it. Also, I like to say that I have a challenge, particularly for marginalized groups, for us to recognize the ways that we are participating in our own oppression, because we, you know, oppression intersects with different forms of oppression and it becomes stronger. And then it's hard to recognize in some instances, obviously, you know, when you're being oppressed, but do you have a role in it? In some instances, it's obvious. When we talk about police violence against people of color, obviously we're not participating in that, in that way. But then, if we are putting our children inside of the system that churns out these same people who believe these things, then absolutely we are participating in it. So what can we do about it? Everybody's not gonna be able to pull their kid out of school because you work or you're the only person that's bringing in income or you live in a, a, a state where it's really difficult and you haven't gotten a handle yet on what that looks like. Those are real obstacles for people. The problem is often not the obstacles, it's our approach to solving them. So for many of us, particularly for traditionally marginalized groups, the thing is, well, my baby will get this education and then they're gonna raise up out of this situation and things will be better. That hasn't worked for the vast majority. If you tell me one person that that was successful for, I can tell you probably 30 where that it wasn't. So I give the example of even college, right? I mean, as an immigrant too, it's like, go to college, that's the thing, that's the goal. I left with debt, is what I left with. A ton of debt, 
and um, I had some great experiences. I went to a historically black college, Clark Atlanta University. I was nurtured in a lot of very rich ways, but it also is still costing me plenty. So we have to reimagine, a part of what we do is we have to reimagine what liberation would look like and to say, if, if this, if my focus is on bringing my child up, up out of this poverty, because that's what it usually boils down to, how can I empower them to do that? Is school working? Has school worked in these generations? And if not, how can I tap into who and how my child actually is? You know, how they, who and how they are now? What community resources are available for me because I'm not able to take them to all of the places I'm at work? This is why we need to be collect. This is why things like Arrow are so exciting for me, and the Alliance for Self-Directed Education are so exciting for me because we're getting together and saying, you know what? We have to figure out how to uplift each other and support each other because it takes all of that for that single parent to be able to say, oh, I could drop them off at this place and they're gonna be doing the things that they're interested in. They're gonna be around adults who care about who they are, and I can leave from work at five o'clock, and maybe on Saturdays, I take a three-hour shift at the center that we created together. There, there's so many, there's no one prescriptive model. We gotta to get together and talk about it, you know? That's great, thank you so much. Um, I'm glad you brought up the Alliance for uh, Self-Directed Education. Uh, I know you're a, a founding member of uh, uh, the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how um, you know, folks out there be, can become a part of it. Absolutely. The Alliance for Self-Directed Education, and it's selfdirected.org, um, is our, our goal is to normalize and increase access to self-directed education for anybody who wants it, because we do believe that it's feasible for anybody who wants it. So we want to take this idea out of the air, you know, make it less ethereal, and figure out how it is practical. And we also want to develop the brand, you know, as weird as that might sound to some of self-directed education, so that people can see themselves in that work. So that's what we're doing, and we, I love to, to point out that we come from so many different walks of life. It's a very eclectic group of us. Just the organizing board alone, not to mention the members that we have and the donors is so exciting, Peter, but we come from very different spaces, but we share this idea of like what type of world, we envision a world where people are free to be themselves and where people are immersed in creating community, whatever that needs to look like for them, that is from a, a socially just space, that's from a love-centered space. And not everybody in the Alliance is even focused on the social component, but it benefits everybody in that space. And so that's the work that we've been doing to evangelize self-directed education, to reach people who are doing it, to share their stories. We have Tipping Points, which is our online magazine, to personal narrative, you know, for people to own their stories and for to allow that to empower other people to say, you know what, I heard him talk about how he did it too. Not only am I inspired by that, because that's awesome, that's cute, but I can also call this person and say, yo, I'm your neighbor, you know, I'm, I'm over in the next state, let's do something together. You know, are there resources that are available for this thing? We want to make it practical and real for anybody who's interested and also to educate other people who may not even know that this option exists. 
It's yeah. great. And it sounds like uh, there's a wonderful support network uh, for anybody who's looking to get started and they just want to find out about it. Yes. They can go to selfdirected.org and, and get um, a lot of support and resources. Absolutely. And it isn't just a passive, it isn't a site where you're just reading information and, and that sort of thing. We have our forums that we've launched. We launched the forums earlier this year and it's been wonderful. If you look at some of the different topics in the, for in the forum, they go from the broad thing to like, well, what about math? You know, or what if they're on the computer all day? The general things we hear all the time to, the, to really specific ways that people are having challenges because that's what we talk about mostly, but also the successes. So the forums have been for people really, really useful in applying not just concepting, not just understanding, but the application, Peter, of, of this work in their daily lives. So we're really excited about building that out. And we don't have any projects online because we wanted to make sure we were actually talking to people and that the projects would be generated from that as opposed to our, just our ideas, you know? Yeah. That sounds so amazing. Um, and I am also a member of uh, yes. Self-Directed. Uh, so uh, the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. Um, so you started to talk a little bit about challenges and I know we all have different lives and we all, you know, come a little from different backgrounds. Um, so when it was, so when I asked this question about what are the most common challenges, I know it's probably different for everybody in terms of challenges they might see, but what are some of the ones that you've encountered and, and what can folks uh, maybe do about that? Yeah. Um, so some of the common barriers are uh, the de-schooling stumbling block, this idea that you know what isn't working, but you just have no model or ideas or experiences with what could work. So it's the idea that even though we step out of it, we still apply uh, the schoolish mindset of, okay, but then what are my seven steps then <laughs> now that I'm in this new place? And so to be able to trust that we don't have to know all of the steps up front. It's gone, something flew by. <laughs> we don't have to know all of the steps up front in order to support people in the work. That's a very tough hurdle. It was one of my toughest hurdles. When, when we took our girls out of school at their request, I definitely was doing that, um, what I call replacing one master for another. Chris and I were replacing one master for another because we're like, all right, you're out of the system, do your thing, use this curriculum to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, or you're going to be in a virtual school where you can get up whatever time you want to do the things that they're telling you yeah. to do. So that hurdle is a very tough one. Mm -hmm. And de-schooling is, is an important part of, of working through that because then you start to realize, oh, this idea that I need the seven steps is really more about like, passing a curriculum than about applying this to actual life. That's a huge one. Also, economic status is a huge one for a lot of people. How in the world can I unschool if I'm going to work at Dunkin' Donuts, you know, from early in the morning to late in the evening, and I don't trust that my child, because my child is giving problems in school, they need structure, these sort of things. These are real and valid concerns. So this is why these conversations are important, because then you can have real examples of how other people are doing it, and you can also see the urgency of developing your own solutions as well. You know, a lot of people view it as a luxury, but how is escaping prison luxurious? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So those are some of the biggest barriers, that economic component, and then coming out of the mindset that you need to have all of the answers before you take the next step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great, thank you. Um, so 
as you know, we have a very large public school system in uh, in the United States, and it, there there are large public school systems all over the world. Um, but we'll, we'll focus um, on the United States for now. Um, do do you see? any way that this can become part of the public school system where it uh, this we go to this model and it's not um, like I think you've said it's really how, how can you be free inside of a prison and in some ways you know the public school model has become that or maybe it always was that um, and that's not to take away some really great things that are happening in some public schools um, but I think for the most part um, I think a lot of folks would agree that it just doesn't work because it's coercive and oppressive. So do you see that there's a, a, a chance that this may become part of the, um, the norm, this self-directed education? No, next question. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but really, no. I mean, no. Um, absolutely not. I, I think that, I think it's really important that to, for us to recognize that you cannot practice liberation while you are in that state of oppression. You first have to escape where that is happening. Uh, so I, I will liken it even to um, racism. So you and I may say, look, we grew up together in Cambridge and we've loved each other from the very beginning. Peter and I are homies. Peter's white, I'm black, there's no problem here. It, but it doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist and that it's affecting millions of people. Very same thing with public education. There are amazing teachers out there. My daughter's had some. There are schools that are doing progressive things. Wonderful. That doesn't change the reality that systemically, inherently, consistently, politically, socially, these systems are not only doing that, but they are designed to suppress and separate and commodify humanness. So as long as it's inside of the system that is rooted in that, yes, you may find one or few people or, or schools that escape it or figure out how to make it a little less painful, but the goal isn't to make it nicer. The goal isn't to find more ways to do yoga in class so that people can be less stressed. The goal is to say, what are we doing? Why they are so stressed? Why they are taking drugs or are being drugged or are depressed or suicidal? Don't deal with the, you know, the 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 broken, you know, the the torn shirt. You know, deal with what's happening. Why they keep coming to school with that issue? And that's how I look at it. It doesn't take away from the the efforts and the drive and the commitment and the passion that people, especially educators in the system have. We know that. My thought though, and this is Akila speaking, not on the behalf of the Alliance or anybody else, this is Akila speaking. I wish that we could put more of those energies into the actual people and not into the system. And I think the more that we do that, the, more, the less we will actually need the system and the schools will be forced to conform the way that we have been forced to conform over the years. So yeah, nah, no Peter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate that. And, and you were just hitting a little bit on the, um, you know, treating the symptom and not the cause, exactly. right? Kind of this idea. And I think, exactly. unfortunately, especially in what I call the Western world, we 
tend to view a lot of things like that, like even health and healing. You know, we look at treating the symptom You're and not the me. cause. You're feeling me, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's and this is why I say that unschooling or even self-directed education, let's go broader. It always starts out in this triage mode. Usually we're escaping something. We got to get out and, you know, figure out how to stop the bleeding and all of that. But it is tied to everything. Anything that you can think of is tied to this way because it's an, it's a philosophy. It's an approach to to people to relationships, to living, and in all of those environments, guess what? Learning happens to be happening. So we really have to take that sort of macro and micro, you know, this thing is nuanced in a mug, it's many layers to it, but we have to take that approach to say, as you said, we can't focus on the symptom. We can't say, well, Johnny made it out. Johnny is like balling out of control. Look at Oprah, look at Obama. You know, we talk about people of color, we give these examples. But then I would say, okay, but then for them, there are so many who haven't, or even people like uh, Steve Jobs or all of these folks who realize very early on that they could not, their brilliance could not be confined or contained inside that system. It didn't mean like Steve Jobs went and took calligraphy courses when he needed to, when it was connected to something that he could grow. That approach if we do that more and more, then I feel like it really just takes away this idea of commodity, you know, and, and feeding into the system and becoming food for the, the system, um, as, and then brings it over to community and, and how we can actually raise each other. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and it sounds also, too, like an integrated approach that it's you're saying, hey, there are some if someone wants to take a class and they want to, you know, do um learning as a lot of people think it should be right yeah. um that they're open to do that if they yes. want to go and take a class and and so very and we were just talking about health and healing it's like integrated medicine like you can use western medicine is really great at some things like i always say if i'm in an accident i don't want to go to a shaman or acupuncturist i want to go to a <laughs> level one trauma center <laughs> right. right so for folks listening right, <laughs> right but so clear. but if, I, if i'm looking for other modes of healing I may go to other systems first, you right? Know? And so that kind of thing. So, exactly. So, so, I love that yeah. you drew that parallel. That's yeah. a great point, Peter. Yeah. It's very, very true. You know, a lot of things that we again, it's the survivalist mode that we stay in, and that school very much perpetuates. You know, somebody, somebody else is getting that advanced degree, Peter. You better be getting it too if you want to go there. As opposed to looking at that that bigger picture, I brought up Ayurveda in my talk too, which is something I'm just recently discovering. Had I stayed with that Western model of my daughter not eating as much or as often as everybody else that I know does, then I would try to force her into something that is really just different from her design. And she's always been that way. I've just never accepted it. But through this practice of looking at people as their own sovereign right, you know, to, to self, to exist and to, to define themselves and all of that, then it doesn't mean I say, eat, don't eat, whenever. It means then that I check in to say, I do things like I'll go up the stairs with a bowl of whatever. And if she's like, and I'll say, oh, do you want some? And she's like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so then you're hungry. <laughs> I want you to check in with your body. I don't want you to eat when I say you eat. I want you to check in with your body. And I'm doing it honestly with her. And I'm also trying to remind her of the ways that she can check in with her own body, which is very different than if you don't eat at these four times, it's going to be a problem, which right. is where I started, right. to, <laughs> to right. be honest. Yeah. yeah. And it, and I think um, 
you know, part of that is we're, we're conditioned by, you know, the, our society or what people say we're supposed to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're supposed to eat four times a day or at right. least three times a day. And, and it's supposed to be at, you know, 12 o'clock and 6 o'clock and 6 in the morning exactly. or whatever. And it's like, yeah, maybe not. You know? <laughs> maybe for some people, like you said, maybe that's perfect and yes. it works. Uh, but it doesn't really work for everyone. Right. And, and we don't even explore these things. So we don't know. It's just like Sage is being weird. She's not eating as opposed to no Sage is all right. Or can I check in to see? So we will do things like have the sort of snacks that she might be more inclined to be like, oh, yeah, that does look good. I'll have that as opposed to making it this fight all the time, just like any other relationship, just like with Chris, my partner. I don't want to be fighting all the time. So we take the time to actually get to know each other's needs and say, how can I back up? And also, how can I um, express what it is that I need? Take that approach with everybody, whether they're four or 74, and it allows you to have that integrative whole person perspective, which we just don't have a lot of practice with. Yeah. And, um, you know, in your talk earlier, you, ta- you, you equated it to really like a partnership. You know, you're in partnership with people. Um, you also mentioned something about sometimes ego uh, rears its ugly head. Um, so, so can you talk a little bit about that and how, um, you know, maybe in, you know, so we're talking about, you know, this is very liberating and very, you know, it's, it is self-directed and it's like, again, in this partnership, but sometimes our ego, you know, gets in the way like, Hey, I want you to do this, you know? Um, so how can we just, you know, remind ourselves that, um, if that happens, how do we get ourselves out of it as quick as as we can? Yeah. Um, practice, (laughs) you know, so the first thing is to become aware of it because a lot of times, you know, parents, educators were very well intentioned. It's just because I love you. I, I just want you to do these things. Right. But if it doesn't feel like love to me, then we have to have a conversation and I don't have to be an adult to know what doesn't feel like love or what doesn't feel good for me. So that's the first thing, the awareness, um, you know, looking at the humanity of each person, no matter what age or stage they're in, facing your own needs for control, going to your own backstory to see the ways that you don't feel free. We talk about um, children in, in households, children being the most oppressed group because everybody has power over them. Even in your own household, what are some of the things that you can start doing that um, that challenge that idea that you should be dictating that for what for us one of the big ones was bedtime you know we talked for like months about what if we remove bedtime and we're like that's crazy next thing you know <laughs> like how could they regulate their sleep mm-hmm. but we had to practice it and that's why i say practice is the answer because yeah. it isn't prescri- prescriptive there mm-hmm. are no six steps that will work for every sure. child every person yeah. so we said all right let's take it away completely. What if we took it away completely? Would they just be like YOLO and just stay up all hours? And it turns out, no. Mm -hmm. It turns out they are, and someone else mentioned this in one of the workshops, especially our oldest, she became more structured when we removed bedtime because she realized that if she wanted to get up to do dance practice and have those things done by 1130 so she could watch this show or talk to this person in this other time zone that she would need at least five or six hours of sleep. So she would just set her clock to be like, oh, it's close to midnight. 
I'm going to wrap up in this. And it doesn't mean she does it, she does it every time, just like us. Right. I do that all the time. I'm about to be 40. Right. I still am totally like, oh, I should sleep today. <laughs> <laughs> but a part of that is because I don't have a lot of practice with that. Right. Whereas when you are unschooling with someone, they have plenty of practice and they know how much sleep they need. Mm -hmm. And they know, you know, working with people in different time zones, as mm -hmm. our daughters do very often, mm -hmm. oh, this means that I need to take this now. They're more structured now yeah. because they have the freedom to design the work themselves. Yeah. So that's how you do it. You, you practice it right. and you ask questions right. and you respect the responses yeah. that they give you and you keep practicing that. Right. And you witness instead yeah. of trying to fix every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I like to say that it's really becoming the masters of our own lives, right? Yes. That we are, we're, we're, we're steering the ship, so to speak. Um, and, yeah. th and again, that doesn't mean we don't have guidance and we don't right. seek out guides. Um, because I've watched students who, you know, started out in a very oppressive system and then sort of went the continuum of maybe they tried homeschooling or, and then they sort of went to more of a homeschooling, unschooling model. Mm -hmm. And then they just became so empowered and it wasn't that anybody empowered them. Right. It was the space was cleared for them to empower themselves. Exactly. And it was the transformation is incredible. And there's so yeah. many stories of that. You're so absolutely right. That's it. That's it. When when you have that space to design, you know, your your daily walk based on what your needs are and those sort of things. You develop goals for many, many people in self-directed education quite organically. It's not as a result of someone dictating this goal to you or putting a consequence in the way. That right, that that instinct to thrive just takes over the same way with toddlers and all of that. That drive to thrive is natural and normal. We get in the way of that. And through self-directed education, we shed those layers and come back to, oh, if I owned myself, what might this look like? So at first, it may just be whatever, I'm going to stay up all night and party, da, da, da. That's not about unschooling or self-directed education. That's about feeling free for the first time. <laughs> Right. But after a while, it's not about that anymore. You're like, OK, now I'm free. Right. That was awesome. I watch I binge watched everything ever for like three months or, or a year or whatever. Now what? Right. And that's the part that we look for. Now what? Yes. And different people arrive at that now what mm -hmm. at different times. But when they do, Peter, mm -hmm. you can't stop them. They're just structured and, you know, they're just doing their thing. And we've seen it with our children. We've seen it with many other children, mm -hmm. even the ones that people claim could never possibly do that. Right. You know? Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. And, um, you know, again, this the, the, the idea of, you know, removing the structure. And I, and I know, um, you know, I have friends, family who grew up in very structured environments, you know, and went to a very structured school um, and that sort of thing. But I, but I also know that they know deep down that there is something different and that they do want to trust their children. They do want to do that. They're just really, really afraid to do it because, again, you talked about... Um, uh, a few minutes ago about this idea of making mistakes and oh my god if I make this mistake with my child they're broken I'll never be able to fix them um, and so I wonder if that's uh, something that is common that you 
uh, run into when people are sort of first starting out? Absolutely. Absolutely, Peter. Many, many people come across that space of like, you know, this is my one job. You know, we, our children are so precious. For me, I wasn't even supposed to be able to have children. I talk about this all the time. So they are literal miracle babies for us. And so it's so important. We're like, we just, we don't want to mess it up. You know, and even with our own history, we also, our parenting and, and leadership style is influenced by how we were led too. So we say, well, we don't want this for them. So that comes up very often. But again, if you're not factoring in the child, it, it can't be liberatory. It's just another version of the same thing. So the work is difficult. I talk a lot about witnessing, which can feel passive to people, but it is the exact opposite of passivity. It is actually very much empowering and it's um, informative and it shows you how to act upon things. It shows you how to act upon things. So if you start paying more attention to who they actually are and how you can support them, you'll find that those fear-based voices, and so many of, of us have gone through it and are still going through it, Peter. It's an ongoing process. You start to recognize the fear as that. And, but now the problem is the fear feels like the fear informs you and the fear feels like the truth. But the reality is, in many cases, it isn't true. It's just something you fear. So over time, through observation, through allowing them to be free, you start to see the fear as exactly what it is, this paper tiger. And you're like, ah, that's cute. I'm having that feeling. Let me manage that emotion instead of trying to fix it through my, my relationship right. with my child. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so we just have a few minutes left. Cool. And... Um, so my last question, um, and feel free to expand on this. Um, I know we're both f uh, fans of John Taylor Gatto, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, he was a somebody who was really influential for me because some of the things he did, he just did. He didn't ask for permission, right? He just kind of did it, and very courageous and very brave. I'm wondering um, whether it's teachers or parents, um, you know, what sort of a and I know one of the first steps is going to selfdirected.org, and they can learn more about yes. about it. Um, let's say another thing that they can, and I know going sort of that coming from the fear base, sort of to remove that. What's maybe one thing that they can do initially, just to even try it out with a safety net? Because I think sometimes um, I know for me, uh, my transformation is I, I, I needed at least initially a little bit of a safety net. Well, okay, I'm going to try it, but hey, if it doesn't go well. I still got all this. Right. right? You can always go back. I right. tell parents that right. all the time. Look, if you like fail your kid, quote unquote, you can always put them back. You know, if, if that's what it boils down to for you, I, I hope that it evolves into something else. And most often it does. But you can always go back. So that's one thing that I say, too. If you, if you need to have that safety net, one, do not beat yourself up about that. Try, you know, that's another thing that schoolishness perpetuates. We're not very compassionate towards our own selves. Then forget about other people if you can't do it with your own self. So the first thing is to say, you know what? I am doing this from a place of love and regard for my child. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go back to the thing that I think probably will. So that's the first thing. Give yourself the out. Give yourself the out. But at the same time, also make a level of commitment to listening more to your child. So what I say is, you know, turn turn the the pointer back towards myself. Why is she doing that? How come she's not watching TV? How come she's not reading a book instead of watching TV? The the jerk, you know, that knee-jerk response is to say, oh, well, let me tell her that, you know, or tell him that. 
instead turn it back to me turn the pointer back to me hmm let me go deal with that and before I even go talk to them about it what's problematic about it for me well I don't know what they're watching can I do something about that what if they watch TV for too long can I do some research about whether that's relevant can I listen to a podcast about somebody talking about the, that turn always turn the pointer back to you so you can manage your feelings instead of trying to fix what's happening there doesn't mean you may not come back to the yeah but you're watching too much TV but that pause Peter that pause is powerful because so many times you'll see that it's about control and not about the reality of what may or may not happen if they watch TV for seven hours instead of two Great. <laughs> uh, thank you so much so um, can you tell folks again where to find you and um, I know we talked a little bit about the Alliance for Self-Directed Education yes. where they might find more information about that as yes, well. Yes, that's definitely one place to find me over at selfdirected.org. My contact info is there. Uh, the podcast, my website is akilasrichards.com. It's just my name. There's a voice memo thing on there. I love getting those. Please leave me voice memos. You can email me directly from there. Um, my social media handle is Radical Selfie as I started out working on radical self-expression so I'm at radical selfie on Twitter I think also on Facebook it's radical selfie but primarily akilasrichards.com well thank you so much this has been wonderful and thank you for joining us today thank you for inviting me on this is my first arrow conference and not my last I said you guys are the best huggers <laughs> the hug game is strong at arrow and I really love that there's such diversity of thought in this approach to I, what I call raising free people, you know, and I, I want to see more of it. And I'm very glad and very encouraged by what I'm hearing and seeing in the space. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.